get really good at knowing you don't know shit. Like you get really good at being open to new ideas and new opinions as well, because no matter how much you think you know about something, there'll always be counter examples you get really good at. And I mean, I've, like I used to be probably someone that was like, nah, if I believe this, I will argue till the cows come home because I enjoy arguing and I enjoy being right. And then now though, I'm like the polar opposite. I'm like, if I believe something, can someone give me a counter example? Can I find evidence to the contrary? Can I hear something that will change my beliefs? And I think that's been a huge benefit as well like in how i interact with other people i'm so much more receptive to thoughts feelings and opinions that challenge my own than maybe i would have been in in the past welcome back to another episode of get psyched i'm your host Lindsay, and today i'm sitting down with the one and only con porter I'm so excited because I have been following Khan on his fitness journey, his mental health journey, and everything he has been so vulnerably sharing on social media for a very, very long time. If I had to be completely honest, I started following him about 10 years ago because I thought he was this super cute Australian guy that loved good craft beer and was totally willing to be himself on the internet. And I have only been pleasantly surprised by the incredible human that Khan is. Today, we talk about where psychology meets philosophy, what it's like to feel big emotions and experiences, our desire to bypass discomfort, and accepting and celebrating differences. It was so much fun talking to Khan today, and I absolutely cannot wait for you to hear today's episode. But before you listen, be sure to check out Element. I think I drank two of them throughout the show that I recorded with Khan, and I just cannot get enough of it. It is my go-to electrolyte supplement, and I love everything they're doing. They do have some spicy element, which is, you know, some people dig drinking that after the sauna. If I'm already hot, I'm not trying to make my mouth spicy too, but I do love salting the rim of my margaritas with the spicy flavors of element. If not, watermelon is my go-to, and I would love to hear what your favorite is too. Head over to the link in the show notes to get a free sample pack. All you pay for is shipping and everything else delightful element coming your way. Until next week, enjoy the show. Thank you so much for sitting down. I, like I was saying before we started the show, I've been following your fitness career for a long time and as creepy as Instagram have <laughs> <laughs> also been following now that you're going back to school and getting really involved with psychology. So two of the, mm. my biggest things that I talk about are fitness and psychology. And so I was like, I need to talk to this guy. So thank you yeah, so much. Absolutely. No, my pleasure. Sorry about the couple of mix-ups with the time differences, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, for those of you that can't already tell, uh, Khan lives in Australia, not in the States. So um, (laughs) if nothing else, just enjoy listening to his voice for the next hour. (laughs) Um, The old Australian accent. (laughs) Yeah, gets him every time. Um, So for people that don't know you, can you give like the quick elevator pitch, who you are, what you do, and then we'll kind of dive into it. 
Yeah, so um, my name's Khan Porter. I'm uh, Australian. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so I am, I guess you would say, a professional CrossFit athlete, as in that's kind of how I make the majority of my money through sponsorships and stuff from being a CrossFitter, which is cool. Um, who the hell thought that would have ever been something that I would say, but uh, anyway. Um, and then, yeah, I'm also a full-time student. I'm doing a degree, uh, psychology and philosophy degree. So really interesting kind of mix of subjects. Uh, been heavily involved in the mental health space for probably the last five, six years, just through my own personal journeys with mental health and being lucky enough to work with some really cool mental health organizations. And yeah, that's, that's, that's me in a very quick pitch, I guess. So Love grew it. up on the beach, standard kind of little Aussie, well, probably not the standard Aussie kid, but um, I'm sure we'll get into bits and pieces about that. But yeah, kind of very typical Australian upbringing, little coastal town, all that sort of stuff. Grew, like love the water, love the ocean. <laughs> Epic. Um, so I am Do you know what's so funny? Funny segue. Yeah, do I've been it. doing interviews for a while and I still haven't perfected that that. What, who are you? Quickly tell everyone who you are. Quickly tell everyone your story. I still don't think I have that down pat. I don't so either. apologies. Yeah, no, if you ask me, it depends what day of the week you catch me mm. on. I'm like, you guys want to talk about my childhood trauma or you want... Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's exactly it. Yeah. You want my like mental health history, childhood trauma or like what I've done in the sport of CrossFit. Like which one? Yeah. <laughs> and where do they intersect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that was perfect. I also, today I was on a show a couple weeks ago and it's going to air, I think this week. And oh, they cool. asked me to write a bio and I was like, Oh God, like, <laughs> and that's not even speaking it. Right. That's just typing mm. out something and be like, huh, oh, well that sounds legit enough. And not yeah. like I'm, you know, have just like this crazy hubris or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I changed my Insta bio like once a month, once a fortnight to go from there. Epic. Um, so when you said that you've really been diving into mental health the last four or five years and that it was kind of, you know, spurred out of your own experiences, what does that look like? What is it that you've been working on? Uh, do you mean like personally or with like the different organizations and stuff? We can go either way. <laughs> good. Well, I guess I became... Uh, I mean, I guess I just have my own mental health story journey that has kind of just existed as long as I have memory, really. Like, I don't think I can remember a time where I wasn't like a little ball of anxious, overthinking, easily stressed, upset, all those kind of bits and pieces. Like, as a human, like, I just don't, I can't remember a time where that wasn't just a part of who I was and it was like you know kind of mid-20s where that came to a big boiling point and led to me actually seeking help for my mental health and then off the back of that like I kind of saw uh, off the, uh, during that time my sort of profiling CrossFit was growing I made the games a handful of time a couple of times and I saw you know started to develop a platform and saw that having that platform came with the potential to actually help people that were on a similar journey particularly young men um so uh reached out to a really cool organization we have in australia here called are you okay and ended up becoming an ambassador for them i was actually on a 
course with them the last two days, like doing their, um, so I can present their updated kind of material to groups and organizations and going to do talks on, on the Are You OK brand, which is really cool. So I've done some work with them. Um, I've spoken at a handful of events for a handful of different kind of mental health organizations and companies on everything from just mental health in general to kind of resilience, mental, well, mental fitness, mental strength. Um, and then, yeah, just off the back of that as well, obviously went back to uni in 2017 for the first time and did my first year of a psychology degree. Um, kind of tried to stay on board with that. It's funny, like the end of 2017, all of a sudden all these cool opportunities to travel internationally with CrossFit started to pop up and being aware that I'm not going to have those opportunities forever as a professional athlete, I tried to kind of juggle online part-time study here and there. Then I'd go back face-to-face for a little bit. Then I'd go back to full-time for a little bit and part-time again. But I found it really challenging just the way that I am. Um, and then... Yeah, and with last year, kind of everything going shut down again with COVID, I saw the opportunity to go back to full-time face-to-face study, which is what I did at the start of this year, Um, and also the opportunity to transfer to a different university, uh, one that's much closer to home for me and to the gym. So everything is within this kind of 10-minute bubble um, that I can just ride on my, I've got a, I bought a motorbike at the start of the year as well, and it's just so easy to zip from one to the other, park straight out the front, and makes that kind of side of things a lot easier. And the other cool thing about this uni was I was able to find a course where I can study both psychology and philosophy. So I was initially drawn to psychology because it seems to be the subject that is the most linked to mental health and the most kind of um, like appropriate to study with an interest in mental health. But the more I've dived into philosophy, the more I feel that, the two are just such beautiful subjects synergistically when you're looking at the way that human beings work and the mind works and we work and what we think, how we think, why we think that way. You know, psychology is very, the right word is, I keep thinking about this the other day, very kind of almost too rigid at times and philosophy just adds that little bit of kind of abstract more or like less sciencey, more kind of just like intuitive thinking side of things and the two kind of married together very well, uh, very cool ways to, yeah, when you're looking at things like our mental health and mental well-being. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's in a nutshell, I think, covered everything. Yeah. I am really curious because I agree. I went back and got my master's in counselling psychology and it's typically a two-year program. I did a holistic program, so it ended up adding a third year because we had to do all of the like clinical, how do you diagnose and these different things, right, that everyone needs to know before becoming a therapist. Mm-hmm. And then the third year was all, you know, this all holistic practices. So rites of passages and plant medicines and really oh, like cool. really cool things to learn. That's about. cool that you could do that as part of your uh, master's program. That's unreal. It was really cool. And it was a, it was a really um, experiential program that was so free from judgment. Um, it was really funny. You would like watch the students file in because there was a clinical program and a holistic program. And all of the clinical kids, and this is not to cast shade on anyone, but we're like (laughs) (laughs) button up and like clipboards and the whole thing. And then everyone going to my program was in like 
linen pants and like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of smelled like patchouli. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> exactly what you would imagine from both cohorts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, but it was so cool because exactly what you're saying, when you sit with a client or a friend or anyone, mm. there's nothing more beautiful than being able to sit with their process, whatever that looks like. And you're right. I think that psychology is so, you know, there's solution focused therapy, which is like, what's the problem? How are we going to fix it? Yeah. And it feels very black and white. And I found that, I found that particularly when I was working with psychologists, like you would sit opposite someone and you could tell if they were the clipboard people that you're talking about. I'd be like, man, I can talk to you about my problems and my life because it's not just like, I don't feel like it's straight up and down. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's so true. I had a really similar experience. Um, Before I went back to school, I was actually launching fitness programs in um, 90-day rehab centers, so Mm -hmm. like substance abuse centers, Mm -hmm. um, and making fitness just as integral of a part of their healing as group, as psychoeducation, as therapy, all of these different things. And it was so true the the clients that would sit down and were like, thank you for just like listening to my story and not mm. trying to fix me or change me or tell me what was wrong, but just being willing to like sit and witness my process, mm. um, which I think is, you know, more healing than any sort of black and white thinking, but to each their own, you'll find it, mm. you know, 100%. I'm sure that it. works for someone. Totally. I mean, it's a, a cool thing. I've also been doing it at the same time just because I, just tend to really like to keep myself too busy, (laughs) (laughs) which does wonders for my mental health. Yeah. I was going to say that's the high functioning anxiety uh, right there. Yep. Right. It is. And, um, the, I was, I'm also doing my diploma in counseling at the moment too. So many moons ago I was at uni and did um, journalism and then bounced from thing to thing for a while. But so, um, we have a course here that allows you to do that. I'm doing at the same time as my, degree which is a counseling diploma and allows you to work as a counselor and i found the same thing like with all of them every you study all the different therapy types like solution focused cbt act trauma informed all that sort of stuff and yeah like they are they're great but it's so formulaic and you're like what about when someone throws a spanner in the works there like how you there's no training in those courses to teach people to i guess think beyond the structure of those therapeutic interventions. And that's where I love philosophy just so much. I mean, I don't really know what you do as a philosopher, like other than maybe teach philosophy, but that's like, I I am just so enamored by the discipline at the moment that I have no idea if I even want to be a psychologist anymore, if I want to become, God, it sounds so wanky, a philosopher. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. I don't even know. I don't know if you, like, I don't know when you become a philosopher. Like, do you just get postgraduate, like, qualification? Like, do you do a postgraduate <laughs> degree and then now you're a philosopher? Or do you this have to, This feels like, like a philosophic question in and of itself. Yeah. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. Like, how does one even become a philosopher? And is that a whole another kind of yeah realm of philosophical inquiry for in of itself? But anyway, yeah, I, I, I love the two and I love how they work together. How have you, where have you found that intersection that's so beautiful between kind of balancing the two? Well, I guess like um, 
you kind of look at like so, like we sort of said before psychology is so kind of sciencey and so heavily like you know this is the research says this and that's how we interpret the data and we can apply that data to sort of like structured things such as like therapeutic interventions and you know categorizing various mental health afflictions and whatnot whereas it's like philosophy is it teaches you how to, it's almost like a meta psychology in some respects. It teaches you how to think about thinking in the way that you need to think as a psychologist. And it gives you kind of like this, like this kind of almost inquisitive approach to anything that you, any of the hard sciencey stuff that you do learn, whereby you might sort of, uh, so my favorite sort of psychology, I love personality psychology. I find that fascinating. And then, it, then I love moral philosophy. So you look at, okay, like here's the personality, the big five factor personality types. Here's a different personality type. And how do those, you know, morality is something that is touches every aspect of the human condition and our day-to-day lives because we're bound by these kind of societal moral codes how does our personality from a psychological perspective influence the way that we view morality, for example? And that's kind of like, well, personality psychology will teach you how to find someone's personality type and what sort of things that personality type, you know, what sort of traits that personality type has with it. Then something like a moral philosophy will teach you, okay, well, what, how can we kind of use our knowledge of those personality types to determine or create kind of like a universal right wrong system of right, wrong, good, bad. Is that possible? How do they kind of intersect? And I guess that's just one super specific example of the way that I found the two to work well together. Yeah. Do you find yourself as you're learning these things? I know when I was learning, you know, personality disorders I like diagnosed myself with so many things I was like I have every personality disorder in the book um how do you find yourself interacting with people differently asking different questions becoming more curious has all of that kind has your schooling affected the way that you're interacting Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I joined the Sydney University Philosophy Society at the start of the year and it was like the, the, the standard conversation was kind of... So what they do is every once a week we'd meet up and they have like a topic. We just sit there and there's like a list of questions and you just sit in a group and you discuss the topic and everyone's like kind of does the same like the intro and every meeting. I was like, what do you... Like, you guys come here every week? And it's like, yeah. Like, like if I have these conversations with other people, I just annoy them. And it's like, oh, that's me too. That's why I'm here. But I think <clears throat> it's given me, I would have used the word empathy, but I don't know if it's the right one, more of an understanding of other people and more of an appreciation for the origins and the nature of our differences and an appreciation for like appreciation for the, like, you know, we are all different. We know that we are all different, but I still think that we, we know that we're all different, but I don't think we necessarily respect that. And it's given me a much greater respect for our differences, not just like, you know, people are culturally different, but people just think differently. People feel differently. People respond to stimuli in in different ways. And, that level of kind of acceptance of difference, I think, takes a lot of 
takes education and that's one of the things that I have learned. So it gives you kind of, you know, it helps me kind of look at a situation in which maybe someone's behavior would have annoyed me in the past, but now I can kind of look at it and go, well, that makes me probably a pain in the ass to <laughs> for some of my close friends when they're like, when people say something, I'm like, hang on a second. Are you sure that you've thought about that? Because that doesn't make sense to me. But I've also learned to just keep my mouth shut most of the time <laughs> in those yeah. situations. Just not, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I've always been like an anxious overthinker. Um, someone kindly sent me a DM the other day saying, words to the effect of why don't you just stick to fitness and stop overthinking everything and that was really kind of summed my whole I was like I haven't have I've been overthinking since I was a kid it's not going to stop <laughs> on a dime I wish I could stop overthinking um but it's just it I guess that's the other thing about the study of both psychology and philosophy it is like the subject like two subjects to get into if you're an overthinker philosophy particularly like philosophy is just it's just a bunch of overthinkers sitting there overthinking together and going, fuck, like there is no real answer to it. Like half the stuff that you are literally thinking about, there is no answer. Like you, you can come as close as possible to an answer as you can, but then there's always going to be something else that can throw a spanner in the works. So you also, another thing, I guess, yeah, you get really good at knowing you don't know shit. Like you get yeah. really good at, being open to new ideas and new opinions as well because yeah like no matter how much you think you know about something there'll always be counter examples you get really good at and i mean i've probably like i used to be probably someone that was like no nah, if i believe this i will argue till the cows come home because i enjoy arguing and i enjoy being right and then now though i'm like the polar opposite i'm like if i believe something can someone give me a counter example? Can I find evidence to the contrary? Can I hear something that will change my beliefs? And I think that's been a huge benefit as well, like in how I interact with other people. I'm so much more receptive to thoughts, feelings, and opinions that challenge my own than maybe I would have been in, in the past. Absolutely. Have you ever read um, Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind? I haven't. I've heard very Ooh. good things though. I think you might really like it. I won't geek out too hard because he, he, he's not into the psychedelics. Yeah. 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 I've heard him interviewed somewhere and a couple of people have recommended the book. So I might have to put that on the list. Yeah. He's very, uh, very well spoken because there's a lot of psychonauts out there that speak mm. at like such a heady place. And you're mm. like, Hey, like if I haven't touched ecstasis, if I haven't gone where you're trying to explain, mm. like, you're not bringing that down to this planet, yeah. this realm right now, but mm. he does a really good job of it. Yeah, uh, that's, I think I find that that's a big thing in that kind of holistic space is the language being used, like in keeping the language. Like once you kind of dip your toe into that kind of holistic psychedelic world, that language makes a lot of sense. But if you get people talking about energies and realms and, consciousness and all these sorts of bits and pieces that haven't yet bought into it i think it kind of closes people off to that people that have that more kind of just logic straightforward and fucking gonna dive into that so that's cool i'll definitely give it yeah. a read i mean that's anything right like mm. look at someone who's been at a globo gym and they walk into crossfit all of a sudden and we're true. like <laughs> have our own language so it, it can also be very once you're in that space or any space right it can be very intoxicating to have that community shared understanding and experience but yeah i really sure. really appreciate the way that he he dives into it awesome. um, 
when you were talking earlier about how it's created this curiosity in you about somebody's perspective or where they're coming mm. from, I have noticed something similar and it's funny because when I'm with my clients, I can be so objective and be like, oh, like this is a projection and this is how this happened and mm. let's kind of break that down. And then when it happens in my life, even though I can recognize it, even though I'm like, ooh, like mm. you're actually not really mad about what I did. This says a lot more about, you know, what you've got going on. But mm. then I come to my human self, right? this like child stuck in this like earth suit that I'm mm. in. It's like, yeah. but it still fucking hurt. Like, yeah. Why are yeah. you doing that? Have you found that happen too? 100%. It's like sometimes look, I've said this before, like chatting to people. I'm like, there's to me, the first step to kind of like moving through something difficult or moving through something that annoys you is like understanding it. And like, so understand, but, that doesn't like you can understand like that can help like understanding where something comes from, understanding why someone's doing something, understanding why you feel responsive in a certain way, but fuck, it doesn't get rid of those negative emotions that you feel. And that's where I feel like you've got to, it's almost like go through like a micro grieving stage where you're like, okay, I am pissed off or I am upset and I know why. And I know it's not like someone's intention to do that but I'm going to need some time and space to go through and to just sit with those negative emotions and be okay with feeling them before I try to be like, Oh, it's okay. Like I know you didn't intend that. It says one about you. It's like, yeah, fuck you. Leave me alone <laughs> for 45 minutes to an hour or even like, like a big one that I'll go through is like, like, and I think that that's just such a, something that we're so bad at. We've gotten so good at like, understand like the understanding part we've got so good at being like oh i know that this is i know i i feel x and i feel x because y has happened and um i know that y has happened because someone's done something that you know it's not necessarily like an intended thing but we've got but then it's that kind of um like then that next stage of then understanding that it's then okay to feel a negative emotion and that it like that we that, that like you know, you mentioned it before, we're so solution focused. It's like, oh, you feel sad, stop feeling sad. Hey, here's how you can stop feeling sad. Instead of just being like, okay, cool, feel sad for a little bit until you stop feeling as sad as you are now, then we can do something, construction. Oh, you're angry. Like, what's the stupidest thing to tell someone that's angry? Oh, it's all right, relax, calm down. It's like, yeah, you're a fucking idiot. When no, in the like, history of ever oh, has that made someone calm down? A hundred percent. And then it's something that I talk about a lot with guys. Cause I feel like men are just so like, like with are you okay? Like the whole idea of someone comes to you with a problem and they say, Hey, I'm not doing okay. Like as a guy, like there's two things. The first thing you want to do is just be like, I oh, fix it. Problem solve. Okay. Well, here's the solution. You feel bad, but this is what you've got to do to feel better. And then one, you don't have to deal with the kind of confronting conversation where someone isn't okay. And someone's doing bad. And two, you've, you've solved the problem. So that's a little boost of your own ego. Where you're like, I, I did the thing that I was meant to do in that situation, which is fix it. And three, mm -hmm. it's like you see someone that you care about suffering. And so, of course, you want to take that suffering away. But I think we need to get better at just like sitting with the suffering, like opting, leaning into the suffering to let it just kind of run its course itself. And funnily enough, I was doing some reading and writing about that very topic before we got onto the phone today. So it's just... 
yeah, I think we have to get, I think we have to get better at feeling negative emotions rather than just trying to get rid of them or avoiding them altogether. Yeah. Do you have any practices or things that you do, whether that's with yourself or with friends, that is that leaning into negative emotion and even to like categorize them as positive or negative instead of just being like, I'm having this thing happen. Yeah. Um, What is it that you do? Yeah. So I think there's a few things that I do. The first is write. Like I've always been just someone that to, to someone who's my, my thoughts and feelings are so disorganized and so chaotic and that's just for a bunch of reasons. And the, they, I know that the word, like my kind of anxiety, OCD, ADHD can, can trend my thinking towards the negative and can skew it towards the negative when it doesn't have to be. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed by thought or by a particular feeling, I'll often just try to write down like write it out and I'll always write it as if it was like something that I was going to send to someone like a letter or a message or a post or something like that. Cause it forces me to organize my thoughts around whatever's happened and in a coherent way that someone else could potentially understand. So that's one thing that I'll do. The other is like, so I use the example of um, when I'm competing, for example, I have a shit event. Um, so you, like if I have a shit event, the lot, like the worst thing that you want to do is have someone tell you all the reasons why it wasn't shit and like, Oh, you know, like, but you did so great at this and you tried your very best. And something that like my mom, God love her. She's one of the most beautiful human beings on the planet. But I could have, when I used to play rugby growing up, dad was always super critical and that was fine. It's just the way he was because he's a big rugby fan. So I'd know like dad would tell me what I did wrong in the game, but mom, I could come off and have played the worst game ever. And she went, Oh, you did so well, darling. And I, I hated that. I hated it so much more <laughs> when mum would do that than when dad would be critical. Like I would much prefer to hear, like I could have played the best game ever and come off and dad would be like, ah, you should have gone inside. Like, you cut outside on the outside. You should have gone around like that, something like that. And I preferred that because I knew that it was genuine feedback and that it was acknowledging that it wasn't perfect. And I hated that whole idea of like just being kind of like, Oh, you know, everything's okay. Everything's fine. So it's like when I'm sorry, I got very segued off track then, as you can tell, my thoughts. I'm highly caffeinated and my thoughts will jump from place to place. But um, so when I do, if I do have a bad event, the first thing I do is avoid anyone that I think is going to try and make me feel better because that's just going to piss me off even more. Um, my, I have people that know that I need to just be allowed to, beat myself up and to go through to, to, to feel annoyed and frustrated. And so I give myself like a time period where it's like, man, like I bombed this event. So I'll come off and I will just go and be annoyed. I might write about why I'm so shit and why I'm so fucking terrible and all the, and what I did wrong, why I did it wrong. I might find someone like one of my close friends or a family member or my partner or something, sit there and I'll be like, fucking hell, that was fucking embarrassing. A piece of shit. Like, and I'll, sorry, I'm swearing a lot here. You are so allowed to. (laughs) I'll go, I'll go through that. And then I get it out. I get it out of my system. And whether that's literally just by me going and being stroppy and moody on my own for a little period of time or me going and actually venting to someone or me writing something down. And then it's like, cool, you've had your moment. You've, had, you've, you've allowed yourself to go through that micro grieving process. And I call it a micro grieving process because 
I would consider any kind of thing, anything that causes like negatively impacts you, like a micro trauma type thing. Like you've had something shit has happened and it micro being like you know, in the scheme of things, a bad events fucking means nothing, but it doesn't mean you don't feel like you don't feel negative. Like it hasn't elicited negative affect from you. So you have to go through your little micro grieving process, whatever that looks like for you. Then it's like, cool, come back to reality. Now let's just move on to the next thing. Now, if I, if I, and I've found in the past, like coming off a bad event, say for example, and I use a bad event because it's just an easy, easy thing to kind of go through, but this can be anything. This can be like, you know, a massive fuck up where I feel like I've done, like I've embarrassed myself or I've uh, forgotten to do something that I was meant to do. Or I don't know, like something, just any kind of little thing that's hiccuped. I'm sitting in traffic and I'm really annoyed about being in traffic like be annoyed for a little bit say i'll be like oh this is fuck like and it's okay to feel that then just go about uh, cool back to reality now um so yeah i guess those were the three things writing going and being by myself and just being like sitting with the negative emotion on my own and then venting to someone and you got to have those special special people and i'm extremely lucky that i have a lot of them like we have, have a really good close friend circle of a lot of people where we are all where everyone is like really informed about mental health and, and really interested in it. And I think it's, I'm super lucky in that respect, just because a lot of people don't where we can go through those processes and we will lean on each other. Like when someone else needs to go through it, they'll lean on me and then vice versa um, to actually yeah, to go through that venting process. And then yeah, just once I feel like it's when I honor those negative feelings, I can move past them when I try to block those negative feelings, I get caught up in them. Yeah. I, something that I was thinking on and maybe this resonates with you. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I used athletics for a long time as like my place where I numbed out, right. You could get into that flow state or I could, you know, a kid seeking validation. It was like, if I could make the basket, if I could do the thing, I was going to get the external validation that I was looking for. And oftentimes that came at such expense to my body. Um, mm. I have, you know, all of my woo-woo therapist friends, which I love and I identify with, but they're like, how does it feel to drop into your body? And years ago when I started this program, I was like, fuck you guys. I don't know because unless I'm telling my body to like get me through a workout or do something, I don't just tune into it. And maybe that's because for so long, right, you hear like, sweat is weakness leaving the body or like all these things about pain, right? Mm -hmm. Have you found any polarization between being this high level athlete and your ability to push through pain or push through like these mental blocks and then your ability to like drop in and be aware of what's happening? Um, yeah, it's funny. First thing I super, I agree with you that there's these weirds, like I feel society's kind of, ideas around <clears throat> pain and suffering and negative emotion is so counterproductive a lot of the time. Like you were saying like, oh, your pain is, sweat is pain leaving the body and all the weakness leaving the body and all this sort of stuff. I feel like that kind of, I call it like the pop, like pop psychology, hallmark motivation, all that sort of shit is so fucking bad for, for, for a lot of people and is actually telling people the wrong ways to think and feel but in terms of like my own 
like being an athlete and how that's affected me. I think I would maybe flip that around and say my own experiences with mental health uh, and mental illness have actually helped me better contextualize the discomfort and the pain, the physical discomfort and pain that you go through as part of being an athlete and has made me maybe more aware of like um, the mental, like the mental conversations that go on when those bodily sensations sort of start to come in. But in terms of how that, like, so, so for example, you know, when I was young and I didn't really have much of an idea about sort of mental health and I'm talking really young here, really, really young. Um, but I would get overwhelmed by whatever it was, whether it was anxiety, depression, like just frustration, chaotic thoughts, whatever it was. I worked out that, this is very kind of a bit woo-woo enlightened, kind of this enlightened idea. I came to this realization that when I felt these really bad ways, like those feelings weren't going to be there forever. And like, I would think in the heat of the moment, Hey, remember when like last week you were, you know, at a birthday party and they had great cake because I liked to eat when I was a kid. <laughs> like, and like I would just think of some sort of idea that remade, reminded me that these negative thoughts and experiences were transient and that they would come, that they would pass. And I didn't realize the kind of potency of that when I was obviously a kid, but that was always my like little anchor that I'd go back to. And it was like, Hey, um, oh my God, like this is, you know, like, okay, like no matter, okay, uh, something bad has happened and you feel so embarrassed or you feel so upset or you feel so, whatever it was, ashamed or you feel like whatever the strong negative emotion was, I just tell myself, that's okay. Like, you know, you're going to feel a good thing soon. Like, you know, you're going to feel a good thing again in the future because you have the capacity to do that because that's happened in the past. And so when I started training, I think the reason, and the thing is like provided if there's a workout and, it's not limited by, I guess, strength or skill. I'd say it'd, there'd be very few people in, or like maybe, you know, yes, a particular strength or particular skill-based movement that I'm not as competent as other athletes. And if it's just pure go, it's very few people in the world that can beat me. Like if, it, if, if I have the requisite skill, strength and, and endurance, I guess, which kind of sounds stupid, but like in terms of just like that mindset, when it comes to just being able to knuckle down and suffer through pain, so good at it and I've always been so good at it because I'll just tell myself hey like when this is done you'll feel okay like it sounds so simple but like oh this hurts but like remember you know the time that you felt this and that was really kind of shitty and then you didn't feel that way afterwards like, that's what this is just now so just keep going like just keep pushing until the point where your body physically cannot push anymore and so I think yeah, that kind of experience with mental health, mental illness has helped with that. But in terms of being like aware, I don't know if I'm, so, if I'm, if I'm amazing at then being aware of recognizing the physical, like dropping into my body, let's call it. So I can see when my thoughts start to go awry, but I'm not really good at noticing that within my body, um, which is an interesting thing to even think about now that you mention it, because yeah, like obviously as an athlete, super in tune with your body and super in tune with, um, you know, if I don't 
if something's not right in the gym, like if I'm warming up and I'm like, oh man, like something's just out of whack or if I'm competing and I'm like, man, I didn't feel like myself then, I can notice that, but I'm not necessarily sure I can notice if my body is telling me something about my thoughts, if that makes sense. No, I think that totally does. And I love that you brought up, you know, it seems so simple, right? Mm. Like it will be over. I think a lot of times in this, my dog's tail just <laughs> flew up the screen. Um, anyway, I think so often we want to overcomplicate things, right? We go to that philosophical part of the mm. brain and we're like, this has to be harder than it is, or mm. there has to be different ways for me to look at it. And I think that all too often we disregard the simple thing mm. and how hard that simple thing can be. Yeah, 100% to actually put it into, into practice. I talk about it all the time with my clients because I think all too often therapists and counselors are like, their answer is like, oh, meditate. And it's like, well, fuck. Like that is so hard for people to sit quiet for 15 minutes or to notice that their brain, their mind is wandering and not like chastise themselves in the moment for like, oh, fuck, I'm supposed to be breathing, not thinking about my grocery list or whatever it is, right? Like the simple things really do have so many answers and are so much harder said than done. Yeah. And we're such great um, storytelling machines whereby sometimes the simple solution isn't easy, if that makes sense. So sometimes the simple thing isn't the easy thing. It's the simple thing, but it's still going to cause some degree of discomfort. And we're so good at telling stories that allow us to bypass that discomfort and using that kind of philosophical part of the brain to come up with I guess, uh, more abstract, more difficult solutions for us to kind of try and implement instead that just exist to help us avoid discomfort. We're so, let me, like, another, like society is so conditioned to avoid discomfort. Um, you know, we want the, the com most comfortable bed, the most comfortable car seats, the most comfortable, we want to eat the nice meals that we enjoy and all these things. And I think that's fine. Like I think... Um, I've been recently really interested in like kind of looking at how we balance just enjoying simple pleasure and kind of willing ourselves to experience discomfort. And I think the two of them go actually hand in hand. That's a whole other rabbit hole to crawl down. Um, but yeah, we are like, so we will, we will create, we will avoid the simple thing if the simple thing causes us the most discomfort, even if it's kind of like the only barrier between us getting what we want is pushing a little bit deeper into that discomfort so instead yeah we'll come up with these really complicated different solutions like you're talking about to try and do to try and avoid that and it's, it's wild yeah i talk about that all the time with my clients and relationships you know mm. like we oh my gosh do we overcomplicate them and and so many other things in our lives and i i have my own thoughts on why we do that. And mine mm. typically boils down to control, right? Like I want to mm. take responsibility for this so that I can control this outcome or whatever it is. Mm. And how often like we don't get it right. <laughs> how often we think like yep. I've covered all of my bases and it's still not covered. Like something yeah. just hit me. Um, one thing, and you kind of touched on it in your last answer, and it was funny because I was already going to dive into it in a sense. I've always noticed, um, you know, you'll, you'll go from a post of just like 
training so hard to then it's like, and like, here's me and all my friends getting a beer. And like, you Mm. do have this balance of these simple pleasures, whether it's, you know, having a dance party at the gym with your training partners or a beer and can also go to these hard places. Where did you find that balance and how did you like implement it in your life so well? I'd say I'm still mastering the balance part, (laughs) but um, I've always, I guess just being someone that grew up so with such a proclivity towards like negative, negative emotions. And and that's just through, fuck, call it my biology or whatever you want to attribute that to personality, whatever. Um, I've always sought, you know, like I've always been drawn to just like the simple pleasures to this, that simple kind of hedonic pleasures. And I guess I've always been fascinated by it the same, in the same way that we just talked about society kind of talking about, you know, like pain and suffering, like, like glorifying pain as like, you know, if you feel pain, it's weakness and all this stuff. Like society puts this weird, um, negative value on those hedonic pleasures, even if they do no harm to anyone, like even if they aren't doing any harm. And so a part of that, like and a part of particularly being pretty open about that has always been my own, I guess, rebellion against that mentality and an attempt to show, hey, I can enjoy the simple things in life and I can go for a beer with my friends and I can party and carry on and be stupid but then I'm also going to go in and still be able to bury myself in a hard workout or apply myself to, you know, to studying a degree as well as training for the games, as well as a diploma, as well as balancing business and stuff on the outside. Like I don't think that these, these things that are often viewed as diametric opposites can't coexist. And I think a big part of that's like why I do, put that out there so much is because I want other people to see that the two can coexist and to, to try and, yeah, I guess push back against what I perceive to be this cultural um, vilification of simple pleasure. And I think that stems from people seeing it as like, like as, as a, like as some sort of, yeah, negative influence on, on success or productivity or I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, for whatever reason, I've, I feel that that exists. I, yeah, I guess I try to show that that doesn't have to and that, you know, I don't get that balance right all the time. I am a, like we said, master storyteller and a master justifier of, hey, it's Thursday night, you can have a couple more beers than you're initially going to plan to because you run your own schedule. If you don't want to get up at 7am tomorrow, you don't have to. And, you know, I I can definitely sway that balance in the wrong direction. And I can definitely lean too heavily on, um, you know, go too heavily in the opposite direction and away from kind of the, the amount of structure and discipline that I need to have. But at the same time, I also don't think that like I think, yeah, I, I think I just need both. I don't think I, I mean, I'm not a super organized. I'm not a super conscientious person. It's just not the type of personality that I am. And I never have been, but I've still always found a way to get done what I need to get done and do what I have to do through that. And I think that for me, 
enjoying life and enjoying the simple things and having those simple pleasures that I can indulge in from time to time, you know, whether it's going out with my mates and having beers or just going, do you know what, this afternoon, I'm just going to play PlayStation. Like I'm not going to look at my, or I'm going to, I, do you know what, for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to look at my phone and scroll aimlessly through fucking social media. Like, and, and that's okay. Like I'm going to do that. Like I think that that then allows me to, when I have to pull my finger out and, do something that is going to be really uncomfortable or that I'm not, don't really want to do. Well, you know what? You had your fun. You'll have your fun again when you get this done, but you got to do this. And so then I'm like, cool, let's do. And it's, it's that idea. We spoke about it before when that, when I'm doing something and it doesn't have to be just discomfort in the workout. It can be like, Hey, I have to write an essay now on something that I have zero interest in. And I'm going to have to sit in a library for hours and hours and kind of go through this it's then that knowledge that, yeah, okay, but you know what? Friday night, a few of the boys are going, yeah, you can go out, have a few beers, it'll be a good night. Cool. I've got that in the back of my mind. I'm not going to beat myself up about doing that in the future. And it's just like, yeah, keep chopping away. Do what you need to do now. Do the shit thing now because the fun will come. It's the both and. Mm, it, yes. You know, I, I grew up in a little tiny redneck town. Um, and then I moved to Santa Cruz, which was, I don't know if you've spent any time there, but arguably. I've been there briefly. Okay. Um, yeah. Typically CrossFit stuff. People end up coming to the, the CrossFit <laughs> Mecca at some point, yeah. but, um, which is arguably like one of the most liberal pockets of California. And so I always joke that I'm a redneck with hippie tendencies. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like I will shotgun Coors Light all day long and i'm gonna go like do witchy shit when it's a full mm. moon out and like light my candles and yeah 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 things. like it doesn't have to be an either or mm. but i think that so many people get stuck there yeah. why do you think people get so stuck in like right wrong black white good bad all the different things because it's what society tells us to do and it's what you know when we talk a while ago when I was talking about how different, you know, you get an appreciation and an understanding for different causes of our, like different sort of origins of our differences. And so our different personalities, let's, let's call it, for example, like we're all different. We're all motivated in different ways. And what the problem is, is when we see someone that we maybe respect or admire who is a completely different person to us, who has had a completely, and we don't respect that they have, different biological makeup, different personality, different kind of culture that they exist in, different upbringing, different values, different people around them that will enforce those values. And we try to mirror their, like what has worked for them. That becomes so ingrained in like what's culturally thought to be the right way to do something. And when you look at like high achievers, a high achiever is typically going to have that really high conscientiousness, diligent, um, you know, approach and they're going to thrive in that environment. They're going to enjoy the structure and the organization that goes into them having a really regimented day. They're probably going to get the same pleasure out of saying no to going and doing something like going out for a night of drinking than someone that exists in more of the kind of like, you know, creative chaotic realm of existence will actually get out of going on a big night out. So, and then you kind of look at it like, well, which one has the propensity to have negative outcome? 
going on a like going and doing like the simple pleasures and stuff like that which one can more more than likely guarantee success because just the nature of what it is the hard work diligent never do anything beyond what is the right thing to do um like that model is so easy to sell as the right way to success because it just makes the most sense. And what it doesn't do though is um, accept our differences and cater to the fact that or like entertain the idea that maybe that's not the right way for everyone. And maybe some people trying to do that, trying to be really rigid and structured and all that sort of stuff will actually do worse because it's going to frustrate them that they can't do that. And there may be an alternative solution. And I think that's why, yeah, we get so caught up in the, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a lack of understanding of our differences and what causes those differences. And it's not an excuse. And I think this is the other, the other thing as well is I think the alternative, which is the more liberal approach to, Hey, there is no right way, wrong way. There is no good, bad. You can kind of, you got to figure your own path out for yourself. I think people take the piss with that and it becomes an excuse to just to fucking do nothing to, to, to just pursue the simple pleasures, to neglect that we have responsibility as human beings, to excuse our shortcomings and excuse our, la- like, excuse our kind of like, lack of drive and lack of kind of direction and all this sort of stuff. And that's where I feel like, well, you have to, like, society feels the need to vilify certain things to sort of keep people away from just dipping into that. But if we kind of looked at everything in a more, in my opinion, anyway, and this is just my opinion, if we looked at everything more neutrally and more as a kind of like, Hey, this might be right for this person, but it might be wrong for the other person rather than just blanket. This is bad. This is good. What we allow people to do is explore both ends of the spectrum and find what feels right for them. And obviously like we have to have, you know, and, and I think you'll kind of get people will trend more towards the right thing to do anyway. Is that, was it the white bear phenomenon where it's like you keep telling someone, you don't tell someone not to think of the white bear, think of a white bear. You tell someone, don't do this, don't do this. You start to think, well, why shouldn't I do that? Is there something, what's so good about this thing that makes it bad? Or what's like, what kind of benefit could I get? You start to, you, you fixate on that. Simple one was it used to be like, you look at like diet, for example. You tell someone, you're going to go on this diet and you're not going to eat any chocolate. You are not allowed to eat chocolate. What is that all that person's going to think about is going to eat chocolate. You tell the person, eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And hopefully, like, you know, but just be mindful of, you know, trying to make healthy decisions. Change the person's relationship to, to food or like focus more on what the person's desired outcome is than what they should actually be doing in terms of eating. Hopefully, you're going to push them to make better choices because they want to. Right? We all know that just eating whatever you want all the time is not going to, if you're trying to lose weight, you're not going to lose weight eating whatever you want all the time. So hopefully you can teach someone that and then allow them that kind of freedom of choice to, to eat the bad food if they really want to. But do they really want to? If that makes sense. It's probably a shitty analogy. No, I so resonate with it. I, without going too far down the rabbit hole, have all of this gut stuff going on. and. Um, one of the things they made me cut out was eggs mm. and it was like, everything was pretty paleo, which are, you know, whatever. But mm. the minute, minute they told me I couldn't have eggs, I mm. was like, 
are you serious? <laughs> it is, and it's fucking eggs. Like it's not yeah. fun, right? But I have been, today was the first day I got to eat eggs and it was like uh, this glorious moment. And I ate yeah. it. Like, I mean, those were awesome. Yeah. I yeah. Them, but like, I wanted them so much more just because I couldn't. Before you could, when you could, yeah, 100%, 100%. And that's where like, oh, fuck, like it's so interesting looking at things like morality and like right and wrong. And obviously like even just giving it thought. I think a lot of like, yeah, why do people think so black and white? Because it's way easier than sitting there and actually figuring out what the fuck you think. You know what I mean? Like, which sounds like a weird thing. You're like, I know what I think. I think what I think. But when you actually sit down and spend time picking apart your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs, it's like, it's super confronting for people. You've been told your whole life that this is the right thing to do. And all of a sudden someone says, well, it might not be. But you might just think that's the right thing to do because of your values and beliefs. And I, can't, I have no idea where I first heard this, but there's like this idea that if you have to change your beliefs, you have to kill a part of yourself. It's because it's just, particularly if it's like a core belief, you have to literally kill a part of yourself. And people will go to crazy lengths not to have to do that. Um, but like, it's not that bad. Like changing the way you think and the way that you feel super liberating i think you know having that flexibility having that mental flexibility to be able to to be able to change your beliefs and your feelings and your thoughts on a dime man that's liberating because that's how you grow and that the world like fuck this we live in this crazy beautiful chaotic huge wild unbelievable world full of so much richness and diversity and difference imagine existing your whole life in this super narrow super rigid with this super narrow super rigid set of beliefs like you'd experience just a fraction of the possible kind of things that we can experience as human beings and i feel like when you realize that and you realize the joy and the power that being able to change your beliefs can bring man it's crazy liberating i think about it a lot because i just moved right in april and everyone was like why are you going to san diego and i felt so self-conscious when my answer was like why not mm. you know like i literally yeah. didn't have an answer <laughs> like it wasn't for work. It wasn't mm. for this or for that or all of the reasons that we think are socially acceptable to say I'm doing this. Mm. I was just like, mm. I just wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> like, and absolute worst case scenario, Santa Cruz is still there. Like, yeah. I, if I try out this new place or I try on this new thought or I do this new thing and I don't like it, mm. the other world that you lived in doesn't just like poof disappear it's 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 insane because i'm going through a very similar thing at the moment like i have this these opportunities to go and to spend some time overseas and to do some really cool shit that one i'm not going to be able to do for the rest of my life because i have this platform and this profile now that i know will can go in an instant and, I, and, and i'm not going to have opportunities like i have now and like i talk to like my mates and like hey like sinking it just like fucking off overseas for three to six months like what do you reckon and they're like you can't do that like what about school like get back at uni man just finish that out just get it done or like and you know you've got to, they'd be like like you know you're not gonna like what if you go overseas and you get stuck over there and you do this and you do that and it's literally they're so resistant to change 
even when it's not even theirs, like when it's not even them that is going to be forced to do something and trying to be like, do you realize that a lot of what you're saying stems from your own belief that you couldn't just pack up and fuck off for three to six months? Like you feel that that would be the wrong thing to do in your life. You're giving zero thought or consideration to me, my life, my situation, my future, etc. And but you're so staunch in your belief that there is no way that that's the right thing to do, and that there isn't any possible justification for, like you said, moving to San Diego or spending three months in Europe or something like that. It's like people, yeah, it, it's crazy when you realize just how stuck in our own beliefs and our own thoughts, or how much we lack the ability to think beyond what we know or what we feel. Yeah. Change is for that exact reason. It's like change is already hard on an individual level, but then Mm. when you start making changes or you make decisions, it's uncomfortable for everyone around you. Mm. It's like, they've put you in this little box and labeled it con. And I know if I say this, he'll probably react in this way. If I invite him for beers, he'll probably say this. And Mm. then when you start acting any Mm. bit different outside of that, they're like, Ooh, that's uncomfortable for me. Yeah, you've so disrupted my problem. sense of the world. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to make that a, a you problem. Like, you yeah. probably shouldn't do that because I'm uncomfortable now. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And then in the same vein, it then forces them to look at like, man, he's doing something completely different to what he was doing. Should I do that? Is there something wrong with what I'm doing? No, there's something wrong with what he's doing. It's, it's definitely something that's wrong with him. Not, I feel funny about this because maybe I'm unhappy in my job or maybe I'm unhappy with not being able to, I, I would wish I could do that, but because I can't, I'm going to project that onto him. I'm going to be like, nah, man, like you are doing the wrong thing. So when he goes and does that thing that I wish I could do, I'm going to feel a lot better about the fact that because he's actually done the wrong thing. And people are, people are so like that. You know, I would never pack up and leave my hometown and move to San Diego. So oh, like you probably shouldn't be doing that. Just think about it. You've probably done the wrong thing here, blah, 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 blah. And people are, people are so good at it. Like we are master storytellers. We just create a story that, yeah, what is it? Yeah. You change your belief or you create a story that makes the belief fit like someone else's counter belief fit within your current one. And typically it's just going, well, they're wrong or they're bad or they're stupid, whatever it is. Right. And then you throw your confirmation bias on that. Like if I go seeking this, That's what's going to come out, right? Like Google, right? If I go Googling for something specific, I'm going to find it. You'll find it. It might be a trash article by like some scrub, but something's going to confirm exactly what I went looking for. Um, Which we're seeing like with the state of the world now more than ever, just the kind of like you can't have a conversation with people with differing beliefs than you because they're just going to slap you with a bunch of something that they found or an article that they read or um, I'm getting my vaccine next week, for example, which is a controversial topic to talk about. Apparently, it's a controversial topic to talk about. I'm getting it because it will allow me to travel and that's just the end of it. I have no beliefs beyond that. I've not looked into it enough beyond that to really have an educated opinion and I'm okay with that. It's in the world of things that I have to worry about. There's plenty and there are plenty that are irrational and stupid. I don't need to add another one to it. And just today, my mate's sending me all these copies of a patent of something that says that someone can put a 
tracking chip in it or something along those lines. He's like, have you looked at this? It's like, no, I haven't. Where did you get that? Found it on an Instagram page. Science. That, that's mm, science. Okay. <laughs> Is this a reputable Instagram page? Proceeds to look at the Instagram page, 73 followers. Like, what? what first of all, how the fuck did you find this page? Like in the depths <laughs> of the internet. Um, and it's just like, I mean, I don't know. There could be a fucking microchip in my vaccine. They could track my movements. Why would I care? The fuck were they going to do? Khan's back at the toilet again. She's third time today. What's he thinking? Like, fucking hell, he's he's very high-fiber diet, that fella. Like, like, why does the government give a fuck what I'm doing? Like, why would they care so much about me that they're going to track my movements? Like, I'm not doing that. I mean, I do some cool shit, but, you know, they're only tracking my movements. They don't get to see where I'm like, oh, he's at another club. That looks, I wonder if he's having fun. They don't get to see it. It's nowhere I am. It's, I don't know, man, like it's bizarre. It is a bizarre world that we're living in and it's a bizarre world that we're living in because it is so easy to find information to support the wildest of theories. I couldn't agree more. I feel like I could keep going on this conversation for hours and hours on end, but I know yeah. that you've got training and things to do. So I will respect your time. Khan, thank you no so worries. much for spinning out into the actual. <laughs> um, I so appreciate it. If people wanted to watch your journey, get a hold of you, look at the organizations that you're working with, how do they get a hold of you? Um, is this is just Instagram? Um, Instagram to just kind of follow along and creep from the background if you want, which is at I am Khan Porter. Um, but if they want to actually reach out, don't DM me because I do not get through them all and I do not respond to 99% of them. I just flick me an email, which is just Porter at gmail.com. But all that's on my Instagram anyway, those that information. Epic. I'll link it all in the show notes too. Thank you so much, Khan. Easy. No dramas at all. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>